This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Okay, honest question. Uh-huh. Do you think you would be a good advisor? Depends on to who. Doesn't have to doesn't have to be political, but do you think cuz we talked about it before you and I have no interest in running for office of any sort or any kind or. Did I say that? <laughs> I think we said that. I may have changed my mind. Since, or maybe I'm just looking at you going, you're not fit for office. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just projecting. So what you mean to say is you would never get elected to office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But advisor feels like that's more palatable to me at least. Yeah. I think. But I, don't, I, I think I'd be good. I think I've got good ideas. Yeah. And then like, you wouldn't have to own them as well. So you can blame the person when they get your ideas wrong. You want to hear some of my ideas? Uh, yeah. Go on. Uh, th- okay, so they're not necessarily political, quote unquote, political. Um, it's only maybe, been a political podcast for 160 odd episodes. I know. <laughs> Thick tax, but it's spelled T H I C C uh, tack. So it's like your normal breathy Tic Tac mints, but it's it's just one giant one. I thought you were proposing some new kind of fat tax. Thick tax. Some new kind of what? Fat tax. Oh. <laughs> Not a tax on thick what? people, T H I C C. Richie, what have you got to get us rotund people? <laughs> I just meant that, like, instead of a box of lots of tiny uh, Tic Tacs, you, you just got a box with one with one giant Tic Tac. That, that's it. A thick tac, if you will. Okay. What's that's your second it. idea? Pool stilts. <laughs> When you're too afraid to go into the deep end of the pool because you can't swim, but you see all your friends are there. <laughs> and which government department would this fall under? Uh, the department of the, just class ideas and fun times. <laughs> yeah. Of which I admit, I admit, no, I changed my mind. I am running for office and it's minister of the department of cool ideas and fun times. Do you have a third idea? Uh, I can't I wait to hear it. <laughs> Bean bag toilet. Oh, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> oh, so it's bean bag. You, you know, you ever sit in a bean bag and go, I'm happy here for at least another six <laughs> I could hours. Shit. <laughs> I could shit. I'm so happy. I could shit. You know, Richie, being a government advisor is not the same as going on Shark Tank or Dragon's Den. <laughs> you know that, right? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I think a vending machine, <laughs> but for meat products. Raw or cooked? Raw. raw. No, wait, hang on now. <laughs> Maybe cooked products. I'll tell you what, I'll give you £600,000 for 30%. <laughs> Deal. Uh, I think that's, is that all of my ideas? I once had... um. Uh, and like on my notes app on my phone, I would just jot down these kind of ideas. I don't know to what end. And one of the ones was uh, uh, John Cena, Warrior Princess. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more context around it. That's perfect. Just the WWE wrestler John Cena, colon, Warrior Princess. <laughs> yeah, I can see that in an election poster. That would get you in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Look, 
I don't think I'm cut out <laughs> for being no, an advisor so. of any description. But luckily our guest today is, so maybe we should just get into the episode. So this isn't a Dragon's Den practice podcast. <laughs> no. It's a political explainer show, but on the side, I kind of just suss out my ideas. Because if we start getting tweets about any of the ones I just mentioned, then I'll know. Like, that's market research, baby. It's a market research podcast for bad ideas. Is it market research, baby? Another one of your ideas? So actually, here's a actually here's here's a fun anecdote. Uh, I so I briefly worked for a a company that did like it's like a tech startup that did uh, like custom cards. Yeah. That you could like make yourself and then in an app and then it got sent to someone like whoever you wanted. But on the in in all the categories of different types of card you could send, there was the normal free version if you just downloaded the app, and then there was the premium version. So all of the categories are split out into like on the back end are split out into free happy birthday and then premium happy birthday. But there was also a section for um, you know, if you had a if someone had a baby, like the, so it's like new baby section. And so when I was working on the, like on the back end of the app, there was new baby and premium new baby. And I just got the, the, the phrase premium new baby out of my head. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't sign up for the gold package. So here you go. Your baby has one leg. Your baby has microtransactions. <laughs> this is a free to play baby. But if you're going to want to get this, and if this baby wants to become a toddler, you need to pay. Every hour its mouth just opens and an ad for Caps for Masters has come out of it. <laughs> Horrifying. What informative. That's a good deal. Thank you, baby. Thank you, premium new baby. <laughs> if you want more of this rambling nonsense, non-suckers and political information, mm-hmm. you should go over and join us on Headstuff Plus. Yeah, we've got, we've got bonus episodes up there. Uh, a new one just went up, I think, last week. Uh, what was it about? I've already forgotten. Uh, which Teletubby are we? Oh, that was it. We did we did a series of uh, personality quizzes to see which US president we are. And then afterwards we did a, a different quiz to see which Teletubby we were. Some would say, what's the difference between Teletubbies and presidents? <laughs> Turns out the, the Venn, that particular Venn diagram is just one circle. Uh, and I've also actually just before, just this morning, I figured out what our next bonus episode is going to be. I've found the best I'm going to, t- I'm going to, it's going to be story time. I found a political story that's just fascinating and I'm going to c- tuck you into bed, give you a, a hot chocolate and read you a story. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm going to sign up for this Headstuff Plus. This sounds great. It's only a fiver plus tax and there's a link in the show notes. So there you go. We also have a little paid ad. We are letting you know for the last time that season two of 180 Degrees, a podcast by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, the SEAI. They are the cool dudes who help you rate and make your home more energy efficient. Turns out I was heating up my home by just dragging in a metallic barrel from the street and just burning garbage in it in my sitting yeah. room. Well, then plastic turns out that's, that's not quote unquote sustainable. No, it's not. Uh, no. Or quote unquote good for my lugs no no. Um, so they'll give you much better ideas it's a podcast that'll answer questions unrelated to to dumpster fires that'll share the stories of people across Ireland working towards a cleaner energy future amazing Uh, 180 Degrees is brought to you by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland and supported by the Government of Ireland like we always say a good thing that they do (laughs) (laughs) which always seems like a veiled insult (laughs) you know I'm just saying 
look, it's a good thing that they do. Are there so, things that they do that, that aren't good things? Who's to say? <laughs> but this is a good thing that they do. You know what else is a good thing, Steve? Um, Our next guest. Our next guest. Yes. Uh, so this, again, another one of those topics that we've been meaning to chat about a long t- for a long time. We talk about it in all of our various different, like, oh, you know, what would what our politics do, and, you know, if we ran a country, that kind of thing. We actually we recorded been- one with an Irish government advisor before, and we had yes. to throw it away because... We breached NDAs. <laughs> Exposed so many secrets. Yeah. Oh, we knew all about. Do you want to know? Do you want to know what's really in the spire? Oh, <laughs> I think you can't fit much in there. But once you know, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. It's just one giant conehead man. Uh, yeah. What? Which uh, Irish politicians secretly have illegal zoos? In their attics. So come many find, tigers come, in the attics of, of Irish politicians. Come find us in the pub when the world reopens. And we'll, we'll fucking tell you. They are all We've tiger kings. The, they are all. You think Tiger King just scratched the surface? This goes all the way to the top. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about no. other things. Yeah. With a, with a real life, honest to goodness, uh, political advisor who actually happens to be a fan of our show and listens to our show. So that was quite again, nice. It was quite nice. Well, I'd be surprised. I mean, what more can we say? I think we just get right into it because it's a great, great little interview. So let's just do it. Stop trying to hold me back. I'm not holding you back. Okay, well, shut up. I'm going to play it right now. Ew, you like that. Did you play it? Has it started no, I yet? Can't, I can't find the button. <laughs> this is embarrassing. There's a big red one. Oh, there we go. No, not that one. Um, sorry about uh, my virtual background. B. I've got um, my girlfriend is sleeping behind me <laughs> so i figured i didn't want to have it you have a very professional setup behind you currently and i didn't it's think just a white wall as yeah. professional as the kids yeah i didn't think like a, a a sleeping girlfriend are you asleep no he says no <laughs> i sort of i heard a very quiet <laughs> come from underneath all the blankets should we get stuck into it sure so here we are we are recording um from three different locations london dublin and latvia and um, with us we have b johnite so you have been a listener for the show for a good while, actually. We noticed um, getting a, a prominent Instagram person following us. And then we realized, <laughs> oh, my God, there's this Politico uh, YouTuber who's following us. So um, we finally got our act together and decided to invite you on to talk about what it's like being a government advisor, amongst a few other bits. Um, but just before we get into it, for listeners that might not have heard of you, could you just give us an idea of your background? Um, I think YouTuber, activism and also <laughs> politician. Skier. Skier. <laughs> Skier, yeah. Um, hi, thank you very much for inviting me. I am incredibly honored as I really am a big fan of your guys' podcast. And um, so my background is um, YouTuber is kind of w- way back uh, in, in my high school and university bachelor days. So I wouldn't really count that in anymore. But um, I worked for the government for two years, uh, two and a half years, actually. Um, I was a ministerial advisor in communication, so I worked for the Minister of Economics of Latvia, worked for the Minister of the Interior. I've run in two elections. I've run in the national parliament elections in Latvia. Then in 2019, I've run for the European parliament elections, and I led the party as well. Um, and 
created the whole campaign and that was just a crazy, crazy time. And now I am just a student. I have uh, left my work as a government advisor and decided to enroll in something that's been a lifelong dream. I study um, diplomacy, a master's in diplomacy in Oxford, which uh, I have applied once there before for my bachelor's. I got rejected. So this time it's it's successful. Um, unfortunately, I'm doing it from Latvia. Boo. But but that's that's kind of the general general gist of where I'm at. <laughs> Amazing. And, and as we said, you are you're recording in Latvia. And before we get into like the main topic of of, uh, you know, what what I'm a political advisor and all that. Um, it's important, I think, we establish a bit of con- like Latvian context, as I'm sure that's going to be a lot of what we, we talk about in a bit. Um, we don't want to be too reductive. We don't want to boil down an entire uh, complex country and its people and its cultures down to like a short little soundbite. But could you just give us a very brief could one on Latvia? Could you do that, though, even though I said we didn't want to? Could you do that, please? I could I could try. So uh, Latvia is a country of 1.9 million people and it's tiny. It's absolutely tiny. We um, have probably the biggest density of forests in our country. It's uh, 50% of the territory is very green and it's forests. Um, Latvia's got the tallest woman in the world statistically. <gasps> it's a, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is, is it you? This is Zoom, oh, so yes, I can't tell. I'm, obvi- I'm like two meters. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. But uh, that's that's a fun statistic. Um, I mean, we're, we're in the Baltics. We're by the sea. We have... Um, wonderful seaports, a really big airport, all of that. But um, we still have a lot to grow. And we're quite a young country. We gained our independence in 1991. And we actually celebrated 100 years, um, I think, two years ago of, of our country. But the capital of Latvia is Riga. Riga is actually one of the oldest cities in Europe. And it's um, it was created in 1201. Uh, so it's it's got quite a long history. And Latvia is a beautiful, beautiful country. Not many people know about it. But um I would love to love to show everyone around if, if you ever have a chance to visit. The little bit of a confusing statement there. You said the country got independence in ninety one, but you celebrate your one hundredth anniversary. So can you guys yes, just, can because- you give us a little bit of context as to what happened in between? <laughs> Oh, um, well, the Soviet times happened in between, <laughs> the <Soviets laughs> as happened. it did with a lot of Eastern European countries. Yeah. We had we were independent before, um, but then then the Soviets kind of decided that it's it's uh, it would be nice to expand their territory and uh, take us under their rule. <laughs> and at the moment, is there a bit of a like an East West thing still going on in Latvia? I know you guys have been members of the EU for quite a long time, but kind of is the the prospect of Russia being dicks? always there or has that kind of moved on? I mean, I don't think it's fully moved on because the, so essentially the policies that the government was pursuing at the time that we gained our independence were very incorrect, I would say, in terms of how it's now divided the society because we have a massive Russian-speaking minority in Latvia and actually every single election for the past years, the Russian-speaking party that we have gains the most seats, but they're never in coalition because they're never taken into the coalition, so they always sit in opposition. They were ruling our, um, uh, they were ruling Riga, the municipality, so the biggest municipality for Many, many years. Only last year we had elections where another party um, won more votes than them. So there's still a massive divide between Latvians and Russians in in Latvia. And also there's a problem with media and misinformation and Russia kind of trying to exert its influence through those channels, which is not that great. But um, I think in general for such a small country, it would be the most favorable and best for us if we kind of manage to create 
a media environment and a gen- generally an environment where both Latvians and Russians and Latvia can kind of coexist together and be a little more friendly because um, we're not going to get anywhere far with 1.9 million and a divided population. So yeah, it's not a lot of people. So you can't really start it's to divide. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so let's get back into the the what am political advisor part of the show. Can you just like how how do you end up becoming a political advisor? Like what's the like how do you do it? Like what's the trajectory? So in my case, um, I actually joined a political party in 2018. Before that, I was actually doing, I studied politics and economics in my bachelor's. I went to Durham and afterwards I kind of actually did more of creative filmmaking type of stuff. And then one day I got a phone call from um, a woman who was looking for someone who can help her out with um, running the party office and just helping out before the elections. And she called me and I was like, hey, that sounds interesting. I have always been into politics politics, but I've never known how to actually, you know, join a party or, or join any of that because politics is, I feel like something that seems far and scary until you actually oh, get into it. And last year we have a, we have a very like small population of people who are in parties in general. It's not very common, which is quite bad for civil society because I feel like it should be more normalized that people join parties and are active and, and you know, share their thoughts and, and raise their voice. Um, so in my case, I kind of joined as an assistant to just help out in the office and I helped run... Um, the party office pre-elections met a lot of wonderful people. And at one moment, I was just like, elections are coming up in three months. If all of these people can run in elections, why can't I? I have a, an appropriate education. I was 22 at the time, but you're allowed to legally run from the age of 21. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this as well. So I ended up kind of helping a lot of the party leadership, worked with them, made a lot of videos for them. So actually, my YouTube background has been insanely helpful in my political career because it gives you the kind of practical skill that normally people have to outsource and pay for where I could do everything inside, help the party, create videos, create social media material, all of that. So kind of through that, I got very um, friendly with the party leadership and they ended up letting me run. And um, I went really hard on my campaign. So I practically got elected. I'm actually still the first person behind the line um, in in the Riga municipality, which is quite cool, but it's already been two and a half, three years of this government. So I don't think think anything's going to happen that dramatic that I'm going to get in, but technically I could get a soft mandate still. Is that if someone was to retire, you would automatically get their spot? Okay. If someone who's like five people above me, if one of them would just decide that they want to quit or retire or, or they fell, fell down a manhole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So then, then I would become an MP. What, um, what's the name but, of the party? Um, I'm not in it anymore. So uh, it was called KPVLV. I am, uh, I've left the party since then. Actually, the first thing I did when I arrived to Oxford was I wrote a letter of resignation from the party because the past years I haven't really, um, just, I feel like our paths weren't aligned anymore. So okay. I chose to to not be uh, in a party anymore because I quite like being independent and being able to, you know, completely choose my own path and be disconnected from local politics for, uh, for now at least. <laughs> so after the elections, um, I was invited to work as a um, member of parliament's assistant just to help out with uh, all the daily work. I worked for commissions. I... Um, also did their communications, social media, all kind of those things. I prepared uh, legal materials for um, for commission sittings and various things like that. 
And uh, after that, the government formed in three months, which was one of the longest times we ever formed a government in Latvia. It took a while. And one evening I get a phone call from the 2B Minister of Economics, who's like, hey, you're the first person I'm calling. Do you want to be my advisor? And I was like, oh, wow. are you insane? I'm 22. What? <laughs> so, uh, so basically he needed someone who he can trust and who's active and has a modern approach to communication. So he chose me for his communications. And uh, I've been doing that since then. Uh, worked for the Minister of Economics. And then afterwards, um, the Minister of uh, the Interior invited me and I thought I wanted to try something new. So I uh, went to work for another minister in the same party. And that's that's how it went. <laughs> okay, so then you had two, we worked for two different ministries, two different ministers. And um, when you were in those roles, like how much power do you actually have to change things, to make decisions or to influence decisions? Like, I mean, are you guys the real driving force behind politics with along with the ministers or are you more their assistants in that sense? I mean, I think it, it really depends on how much power you give yourself to be able to influence things. But in, like, on, on the global scale, even the ministers let's be real, don't really have that much power because at the end of the day, it's the prime minister who sets the agenda. There's a lot of very complex complex um, issues happening between the different parties within a coalition. So you can't really get what you want practically ever. You have to, out of the 10 things you want to do, you need to pick one and that's already going to be great if you achieve that one thing. But for smaller issues, if you do manage to put your finger on something that's important to you and that you want to achieve or move forward or um, raise as a topic in any way, then as an advisor, you can definitely do that. So for me, I, I really, I try to really actively work together with journalists and media is, I think, it's the the biggest enemy and the best friend of the politician in general because for me as an advisor I I was always wanted to be very active I wanted to do as much as I could and I actually worked pretty well together with the media where they would raise an issue they would come to me they knew they could trust me with it and I kind of then tried to move everything ahead in the ministries which was quite interesting because as an advisor you have access to the entire ministry you can you know, work with any department, ask them to gather information, help out with things. So actually, I think through productive, uh, effective work with the media, you can get a lot through because the media often catches various problems and issues much faster than than you would just sitting sitting in your ministry. You sometimes don't even know things are happening, but the media does. And if you work with them instead of against them, then a lot of good things can actually be done. So in a way, as an advisor, you do have a lot of power, but uh, at the same time, generally, it all depends on the government. <laughs> if you if you want to yeah. do something small, then then you can for sure. So in Ireland, there's a very clear divide between civil service government advisors and political government advisors. So I presume you were a political government advisor. I was a political advisor. And yes, in Latvia, yes. did you encounter the same thing where there would be, like, there would be people from the civil service who would be there no matter who is the minister, and then as opposed to you guys who kind of come in and out with the political parties. And then was there, did that work well in Latvia? I mean, it definitely, definitely is like that. So I was a political advisor. The civil service stays there no matter what. And oftentimes if the minister doesn't have a tight enough grip on what they want to do and achieve, then it's going to be the civil service moving forward the agenda 
not the minister, which actually happens more than more than you can imagine. I can't say it happened in my ministries as much, but if the minister is not as possibly knowledgeable in the subject, then definitely it can turn the other way around where the civil service is leading the ministry. Um, in my personal experience, I always tried to work kind of tie, like kind of keep up a good relationship with everyone in the civil service and work together because I feel like that's just the most effective way to do it but since I was in communications so I was working mostly with the media um I was working closest with the civil service people within the communications department so I was technically leading the communications departments in, in both ministries at the times that I was there and um it was just yeah it was it was quite interesting but there definitely is that exact same divide so they stay there and you can come there for a year two years it depends on the government and then then you're not there anymore but they still stay there and work uh, let's talk a little bit about the day to day. So can you take us through, say, what a normal day looks like? You wake up, you head into work, maybe listen to what on politics on the way you get in there. <laughs> what happens? So that actually that that was actually exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> I would wake up, I think, at around seven and work would start at eight thirty. Um, I used to go to work on an electric scooter, <laughs> which was very fun. Cool. Um, and usually listen, listen to a podcast while, while going on my scooter and, um, you'd get to work. The first things I would do is definitely open my emails and we have this media monitoring application, which uh, I was in charge of to see any, every, anything that's happening. And, um, it's called station. And I would go through that, see where the minister was mentioned, what has happened during the previous evening or, or the morning. Um, most days there, most days it was quite, quite chill, but a lot of times there could be some scandalous news or something that you immediately need to respond to. And then you have to decide whether you want to call a press conference or write a press release to, I don't know, stop whatever, if, if there's rumors spreading or something along those lines. Um, then there's usually a lot of meetings you have to attend during the day with uh, different NGOs or um, different departments within the ministry. And as a media person, I always tried to go to most of those to know everything that is going on because it's so easy, even within the kind of political closest circle of minister and their advisors, it still often happens that you're in an information vacuum where you know, so the three people are talking among themselves and they know what's happening. And sometimes it doesn't reach the communications person, but then the communications person is the one that has to deal with the, the crisis that happens afterwards, possibly. So um, always need to stay in, in the loop with everything. Um, so a typical day would just be create a lot of visuals, write a lot of press releases, talk to a lot of uh, journalists. Um, if there's any specific legislation that's been passed, you have to notify everyone about it and um arrange interviews, arrange television interviews, prepare scripts for them. If there's events, which it, last year when it was COVID, obviously there were no events at all. But in 2019, I used to write a lot of speeches as well, which probably once a week, my minister needed to go somewhere to speak. So I would write his speeches for him. Um, Did you enjoy yeah, speech it was, writing? It's quite busy. Uh, sorry? Did you enjoy speech writing? I really did enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting. I would always try to put some little joke or something in there so that it would lighten the mood. But I did really enjoy it. It was very, very interesting. And then what did a what did a crazy day look like? Like what happens if you log in at half eight, either see an email or a media alert saying <laughs> something absolutely unexpected and potentially <laughs> damaging? What would a day like that be? 
There were a lot of days like that. Actually, most days were like that. <laughs> I'll be honest, because in, in, nothing ever sleeps when it comes to politics or, or ministries. Everything's always on the move, and it's always very, very intense. But I think the craziest time probably was when COVID started, because at the time I was working in the Ministry of, Econom- of, of the Interior, and um, the Ministry of the Interior controls the, the fire brigades, the... Um, Border patrols, a lot of these different organizations that are responsible for the safety and security of the country. So um, actually, the fire brigades were the ones who had the leader of them was the leader of the whole commission for how COVID was dealt with. And a lot of what our ministry was doing was to do with essentially the security of our citizens. So when COVID started, we were one of the main responsible ministries, along with the Ministry of Health on what we're actually going to do and what limitations we're actually going to impose and lockdowns and, and all of that. So I remember when when we actually understood that it's coming to Latvia and for a while it was like, oh, okay, there's one case somewhere in Estonia. It's okay. It's fine. And then you realize that the numbers start rising. And I remember there was just, I would be, I would be working until one in the morning. I would have calls with journalists at 12 o'clock at night just because no one was sleeping at the time. The journalists were working. Everyone was working. So um, that was that was quite intense. So a whole day is essentially just phone call after phone call. Then you try to catch the minister somehow, like run after them, literally be like, please comment on this. I need I need you to say one sentence or, or something along those lines. Um, in the Ministry of Economics, there also were situations like that. But um, Ministry of Interior, definitely more intense because it's it's just a more intense field. It's not as not as calm and steady. It sounds like a very reactive job. Yeah, it is. It is quite a reactive job. So it was. It's one of the challenges actually to be able to, to be able to be proactive with the news you create. So you, because you have to always react to something. There's something to react to every single day, but you have to also constantly be able to keep up and create your own news. So there's something good about the ministry instead of just you having to explain yourself to other people. You would create some good news. So that's definitely this balancing that always had to had to happen and uh, was quite tough to to keep on top on. But the job definitely isn't boring. It's um, very, very active and with a lot of things that happen every single day. No day was the same. So the damage control and hecticness you were describing there, like to me, that sounds incredibly stressful and hard, but you appear to like thrive in it. So I'd be interested to know what like what to you is the hardest part of working in politics? I do thrive on stress. That is true. <laughs> I really, I really like when things are hectic and unexpected because it just makes my my own life more fun. But you definitely need to be able to switch off from it because the one thing with politics is when you're so involved in it, the more you know, the more you want to know, and the more you're interested. If, if there was a time when I was in school when I didn't care about politics at all, I would not care who's you know who's prime minister or who's doing what. I just I didn't know that much about it, and I didn't care. But then oh, when you start be, caring, be, that that was me a while ago, and I missed those days. I miss those days with the the, the bliss of ignorance. (laughs) That's that's it. Like you can't really ever switch off anymore. When you start working in it, you constantly read about everything. Every tiny little news article you see about any minister or any member of parliament or any politician, especially when you're in the field, you know everyone, you know the people personally, you have an opinion of them. And then you have to absolutely follow everything. So I would you know, read the news until I would go to bed and then realize that I've spent the entire day 
essentially my work is, is creating the news and reading the news and then I would go home and continue doing the same thing. So it's just really important to stay sane, to just be able to switch off at one point in the evening and just not not read any politics or think about it at all because otherwise, honestly, you can drive yourself insane because there's stuff happening every day, especially with the 24-7 style of news and media that we have where we constantly need to create sensations. Um, you can get quite, um, you can drown in it. <laughs> Do you have a single biggest achievement from working in either of the ministries? There's multiple smaller victories, but one thing that I know that I definitely left an imprint on that I I would consider something that I'm very proud of just because I'm happy that I've done it is um, because of actually fruitful and productive work together with the media, I was notified that there was this one legislation about um, domestic violence that wasn't wasn't really going through the ministry and it was stuck somewhere in the hall. So I decided, because for me, since women's rights is my topic and domestic abuse is something that um, I have been working on in the ministry a lot, I decided to kind of pull some strings. And for months and months on end, I was constantly like pulling together meetings and trying to get together different ministries so they would agree on this legislation because a lot of things are seemingly simple but they get stuck in the corridors a lot and then you know other things come into priority so this was quite a simple technical thing but um this legislation was passed and uh, I I put quite quite a hand on it for it to be able to pass. And now every time there is a case of domestic abuse in Latvia, when the police comes, they also have this form, which again, seems super simple. Uh, but they fill up a form and it instantly gets sent to the municipality social services so that social services are notified about any incident of domestic abuse, whether it's children or if it's, you know, man, woman, it doesn't matter. And uh, what that does is it prevents the police from going to the same place two, three, four, five times, because possibly on the sixth time that the police gets called to the same household, it's already a case of, of murder instead, mm. of, uh, instead of just domestic abuse. So now the social services can get in touch immediately with the victims, can get in touch with the perpetrators and um, actually get involved with it and start working with these people so that it doesn't, doesn't get repeated again. And um, with that law, we also passed through that um, in the future, I think until, since I'm not working there anymore, I'm not sure about the dates, but I'm pretty sure it should be sometime this year that um, the police will actually be able to separate the victim from the perpetrator immediately, because right now you have to go through the courts. Um, so that's also really, really good for victims to not have to stay at home with, yeah. with, with their abuser, um, especially in COVID times when everyone is in lockdown. So that was kind of, it's a form. It's not that big of a thing. No, that, but sounds, I know that, could, that sounds huge. It that could sounds... potentially save some lives. Yeah. And I know that if I hadn't been, been that pushy about it, probably would have still been in the halls and not have been done. And I wasn't the one writing the law, but it's sometimes you just really need someone who can, you know, push the thing forward and drive it forward. And, and, and I, I was doing everything I could to do that. Wow, well done. Yeah, so that's that's definitely, I feel like, my biggest achievement and. I wish I could do more along those lines, but I had to go well, to university. Let's, let's talk about that. So let's talk about the more. Let's talk about like what your plans for the future are. You said you're in university now, but like you're looking five, ten years down the road. Like what, what does that look like for you? God, I can't believe I just asked, where do you see yourself in five years? It's such a book. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't I mean? know where I see myself in a month. Well, in a month, I, I probably, probably hopefully see myself back in university. But um, mm. I've always been more of a, the kind of person who doesn't plan too much ahead because I like surprising myself for, for things that come. And 
my the whole past years, all the elections, everything that's happened, it's been completely crazy. And it's all happened so unexpectedly just because of one random bold thought that I just had where I was like, I could do that at like 1 a.m. in the morning. Let's do it. You know, Oxford was the same. It was one o'clock in the morning. I opened the website of the university and within three minutes I found a course and decided I'm applying for this. <laughs> and um, the deadline was in 10 days, but I managed to do it in 10 days. Like applied for, I applied for for Oxford and get in. Um, so since most things in my life happen this way, I try not to plan too much ahead because um, I have faith in myself that I will find the right opportunities or they will find me. But um, generally, since I'm now studying diplomacy, I want to get more into the foreign service and work more uh, with other countries. And specifically, over the next years, I'm probably going to try uh, find work at either the UN or the EU or just work somewhere outside of Latvia because I, as much as I loved working in local politics, it's quite exhausting and it takes a toll on your mental health. Even things like personal relationships, all of these things that no one really writes or talks about, it's it's just, it's tough. And uh, I got myself dragged quite a lot in the media for things that sometimes it's just because I'm a young woman, sometimes it's for, for other issues, but um, you're never, you never really have your privacy and you're always in the spotlight, which is sometimes quite tough. So I would love to work abroad, gain some new experiences, some new knowledge, see how things are done elsewhere, and then be able to bring that back to Latvia again, because ultimately I am a massive patriot of my country. It's small, but it's great. And I really want to make it a better, more fair place with uh, fair politicians, with, a new generation of people who think a little differently about stuff and actually care about the development and think ahead and think into the future because currently we see quite quite a lot of just what you said reactive so the whole all politics in Latvia are essentially reactive there's not really currently an aim towards anything you know we've joined NATO we've joined the EU so what now and definitely want that futuristic kind of thought but um, for me, I feel like I just need to get some some more impressions and experiences from abroad to bring them back. Is it that is it that lack of ambition that led you to separate from the party? Uh, well, the party was in in quite deep trouble for a while. There was there were personal issues that were happening between um, different people within the party that kind of caused it to split. And when we actually went into the government, a part of people stayed within the coalition. Some people loved the party and stayed in the opposition. So it's quite a classical case of a young, very ambitious political party that just hasn't really been, doesn't really know yet how to um, think long term, I would say, and doesn't really have the experience to be able to do that because we have parties that have sustained themselves for 10, 15 years and They've just kind of always managed to slide through and uh, this just wasn't the case. And at the end, I just realized that um, my values aren't really at the same spot with the party anymore. And uh, I just wanted to be free from it. Fair enough. It sounds like when One Direction broke up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I remember Niall Horan gave that exact same speech. Um, (laughs) As a final question. So we have a lot of young, ambitious, enthusiastic listeners who may be thinking about going down a similar route, um, what kind of advice would you give to someone else who's thinking about getting more involved in politics? Apart from having little light bulbs over our heads at 1am, what kind of active thinking can we do to try and get involved? So I think 
we should get involved in politics because the whole basis of a democracy functioning is that it's an active democracy where there's people who actually, you know, hold accountability over their politicians who actually care. So I think the the starting point for anything would be actually caring, reading the news, looking into the problems, even if it's your city, your municipality, whole country, that's already, already more, but um, just caring about it. And I think there's quite a bad stigma about joining parties in general, but everything starts in, speci- in democratic countries specifically with um, with parties and joining these parties or creating your own party possibly. And just being involved because that's how you get access to people who are already in the lead. You can possibly, you know, give them ideas, help them out and then move, move forward on, on this little ladder. But, um, Politics is tough. It scares a lot of people. It's the reason why a lot of people don't even consider doing it at all. But I think that if you have a higher goal ahead of you, and if you're thinking about more than just yourself and your future and your career, then you can really achieve quite a lot of things with just drive and ambition. I would definitely recommend anyone to try get into politics, at least at least somewhat, at least join a party, go to some meetings, go host something, I don't know, create a podcast for the party or something. Just make it more accessible to people because um, that's where it all begins, for sure. God, I think I just heard the Latvian national anthem just swelling behind <laughs> you while you're speaking there. <laughs> or maybe I'm having a stroke, I don't know. Uh, B, thank you so much. That was incredible. Thank you very much for inviting me. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to basically just seeing what's next on the journey. Mm. Yeah, go in there and fix the EU for us next, would you? Because Ireland, we're, we're struggling to do anything with that. So yeah, it'd be nice if someone smart was to come along and set that right. And look, if before, you know, you just say you go to EU and then before you go back to Latvia, if you could just make a pit stop over in Ireland and just fix, <laughs> just plug a few holes there and then you can pop back. Sure. That would be swell. Uh, B, where can people find you? Um, so uh, I have an Instagram account, which is bjonite, B-E-A Jonite. Uh, then I have a Twitter, which is also at bjonite, and a YouTube channel, which is quite inactive. So probably not, 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 not much point in following me there, but that is also bjonite. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's worth a follow. I saw you made a lightsaber on your YouTube channel and that's, oh my God. <laughs> that, that's, that's a good watch. So if you're interested in that, you could check that out. Yeah, I used to I used to do it just as a hobby when I was in university and when I was in school. Uh, I started it when I was 15 years old, mm. I think, but it became it just became a good job because when some people would in university work in restaurants or work in bars to just, you know, be able to have some disposable income then for me that was YouTube and um I've gotten a lot of actually shit for it afterwards in politics because everyone how everyone's like how does a YouTuber become political advisor but the background is I studied politics yeah. I studied <laughs> economics you know I, I I do have more added value to me yeah. than just you being a YouTuber You didn't just make a har- a really good Harlem Shake video that got you noticed <laughs> yeah. and you're offered a, a political advisor job. Yeah yeah yes, they're just but, jealous they yeah. wish they had their YouTube accounts before they went into politics yeah. they just did something stupid like journalism or something like that beforehand <laughs> What did you do wrote a bunch of pieces no one cares about that here's my lightsaber <laughs> amazing that lightsaber video took me so many hours so many it was it was insanely labor intensive people should I check it out it looks amazing for that. yeah it's not i i did not show that in the video because i wanted to make it seem easy but i learned how to weld because the cables weren't connecting properly so i had to actually make my own like electric connections jesus yeah they don't show you that in the star wars movies <laughs> <laughs> Luke Skywalker really just welding. 
<laughs> Amazing. B, thank you so much. Uh, I'll, we'll link to all of your stuff in the show notes so people can keep following you. But um, yeah, you've been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a really fun conversation. As always, that was a fantastic interview. It was. If we and do say should, so ourselves. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Check out the lightsaber uh, video. It's it's quite impressive. <laughs> like, it looks like a legit lightsaber. I remember when you were messing around with this stuff first, you made like an energy ball. Oh, yeah. No, she, yeah, that was just in, that was, uh, that was all visual effects. Like, oh, she actually, actually built made it, like, a lightsaber. She built it, uh, that, like with lights and everything. No, that wow. was just me fucking around in that. And I remember someone random on the internet criticized you for not actually making a real energy ball. Yeah, and I got uppity, uppity about it. So you did. Just, you yeah, tried, you tried of, to backsass the trolls. Yeah, so I was learning visual effects at the time and I recorded myself out in Ballymun Road, uh, like putting my hands together, creating an energy ball in my hands and then throwing it. And then it hit a car that passed by and it exploded. And then someone in the comments said, oh, you can tell this is fake because uh, the camera shake is blah, 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 blah. And I was like, and I commented underneath going, yeah, it's of course it's fake. It's I'm casting a magic energy ball and blowing up cars. Well, maybe they were from a I'm place not... where that happens a lot more often. <laughs> true, true. It could be they could be from the Dragon Ball Z universe. It could so, be. Yeah, that's why. For, then their next comment was just for five minutes. <laughs> Did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z when you were? I used to watch it when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking awful. It is awful. If you ever try go back and rewatch it, it's just stupid. Yeah. But that was what a great interview. About? <laughs> you know what's not stupid? That interview. That, that interview was great. was great. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening, folks. We will leave your ear holes now. But before we go, make sure that you have subscribed to the show if you haven't already. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't made this call, but if you could go around and tell people about the show, not in person unless you've been vaccinated, then it's okay. So like if you live in the UK or America and you've been vaccinated or Israel, mm. go around and tell people. Or Israel. Yeah. Apart from that, just send them texts, send them photos send them threats send them whatever you need to to get them to listen to the show well maybe not the threats one well, why not but, energy balls and uh, lightsabers <laughs> that's true uh, yeah just, just just say like, hey this is a this is a nice show with two wholesome sweet boys just say that that'll get them in ew <laughs> you know sex doesn't sell anymore it's all sweet wholesome vibes that sells oh yeah yeah that's why we don't sell so much because we're just so sexy that's true <laughs> too sexy too sexy for our own good uh, yeah add up what on politics on Instagram and on Twitter what on politics at gmail.com if you want to shoot us now an email we really appreciate it and yeah uh, if you want to sign up to Head Stuff Plus yeah, there's a link down to show notes to hear our bonus episodes and we're going to get story time soon folks and story we're going time. to get story time soon I need to figure that one out uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go research that now probably actually I say that I'm going to go play Destiny 2 with the lads oh you can play if you want. I'm not good at shooting. No. I, I go all Vietnam and I'm like, ah, they're in the <laughs> bushes flash, and start crying. You, yes. <laughs> you got you to gotta carry me, Richie. It's like, there isn't a button for that. <laughs> <laughs> My character's just squatting up and down in fear. <laughs> that's, why they don't, don't, that's why you won't invite me back a second time. I'm just warning that's you. That's true. That's true. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. I'm Geralt Farrelly and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? 
What went on behind the scenes? We had played this like grand prank. It sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this like great idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly. What did they do afterwards? And all of a sudden you're like, Frank, that's the end of that. It was all blowing up and it all kind of just unraveled. And I thought it would last forever, and it didn't. Check out Fascinated with me, Gerald Farrelly, on the Headstuff Podcast Network.